0: Again, thank you everybody for making this worship happen. Uh, would there be anyone um, that would like to pray specifically for our time around the Word this morning? Just right from where you are, anybody want to pray at all? Nobody jump. Brother Jason, go ahead. I hope you're enjoying the book of Ephesians. I, I really am getting excited as we uh, work through each, each chapter here. And we're in the fourth chapter, as David said. If I, if I were to do something this morning, I thought about passing out a piece of paper and having you write the answer to this question, but you can just contemplate it and maybe I can give some insight through God's Word this morning and answer the question. But the question I would pro- propose to all of us this morning is, what is the goal of the church? What is the goal of the church? In other words, what is the church supposed to do and how are we to do it? And how do we know if we are accomplishing it? And furthermore, um, if we are meeting that target, a goal or a target or an object is something that we are to do, to meet, to achieve, to accomplish. The topic of the church uh, has become one of the doctrinal items that carries a great significance of interest to me. It's it's almost as I've been on a journey trying to understand the doctrine of the church and Although I, I, I won't go through that whole journey in my own life, I would say this. If we get the church wrong, I'll say it negatively, if we get the church wrong, it potentially has life altering consequences. May I dare say it may have eternal altering consequences. Yet if we get the church correctly, meaning if we try to really understand the church as the scriptures teach it, it has the potential to display the glory of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in such a grander, goodness, and great way unlike anything else in this world. As a matter of fact, I would say the church has as much ability, or it is, when when the when we get church right, it is the very shining epitome of God's goodness and glory. This morning we turn to the section of Ephesians that speaks directly to the goal of the church, or a maybe you might want to say the vision of the church. The hope for this morning's message, Lord willing, is to help us to see from the Word of God what the Lord Jesus Himself is attempting. To do with his bride. Now, I'm going to use several illustrations or metaphors. So, we've talked about the body of Christ. It was in our call to worship. I'm going to mention the body of Christ. We talk about the church as being a family, the household of faith. We talk about it being a building on which we build upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus. Then, in Ephesians 5, we'll hopefully get to that in just a little bit. We also refer to her as the bride of Christ. Next week, we're going to look at the gifting of the church. So this morning, I thought it would be good for us to understand the goal or the vision of the church. I'm going to attempt to walk right down the passage here. And we begin in verse 7, where Paul says, but grace was given. So as we see in verse 7, the word but here is very significant. We had been going in a Uh, One direction and we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago about the therefore why it's therefore but now he's saying but in other words he's trying to say I'm going to now shift gears and move in a different vein the first several verses of chapter 4 the great Apostle has been talking about the unity of the faith here in this chapter he's speaking of unity and now he's going to be transitioning to diversity I want to stop for just a moment. I don't want to camp out here long or take a rant, as Jacob Rose would say. He's not here, but as he would say, a Tim Dillingham rant. But I do want to make a point. I think a person preaching the Word of God needs to exegete the current climate or culture. We need to understand what we're, what we're living in. And I just want to say that there's a lot of talk in our day and age about this topic of unity or disunity. There's a lot of topic where there's a lot of talk again about diversity bubbling up in conversations. I want to make a very simple point. It's really not the goal of the message, but it is sort of the goal of this chapter. The place that true unity is on display in this world, as well as the place of real diversity, is modeled in the church of Jesus Christ. It is here that unity is put on display for the world. It is here. we are a part of something so diverse. And again, when, Paul, when David read about one body, he's talking about this the invisible church, the, the, the true church, the church across the globe that contains men and women, boys and girls, uh, every nationality and race and color. it really is a diverse body. And what Paul's telling. The Ephesians is there's unity in Christ, this one God, this one faith, the only God, the great I Am, Jehovah, Yahweh. In verse 7, he says, But grace has been given to us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Paul's speaking, spending some time speaking of the diversity of Christ in regards to the diversity of gifts. And as I've mentioned in this chapter, we will see him talking about the body of Christ. It's in verse 4, it's in verse 12. It's in verse 16. Again, just follow along in your Bibles and maybe go home and review it. But the body analogy is unique to Paul. It's it's one of his favorite ways of talking about the church. What Paul is saying is this body was created by Christ himself. Beloved, what we're here to be about today... Is not designed or orchestrated by the wisdom or the intelligence of any person. We are members, if we're members of the church, of something supranatural. It was created and founded by Jesus Christ Himself. We are the body of Christ, and there is only one head of the church. And that is Jesus Christ himself. This is not our church. And I've said that. I said, would you like to go to church with me? Would you like to come to our church? And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not trying to split hairs. But really, I I was in a meeting on Friday and, and the guy kept saying, words matter. Every time you use a word, it's intentional. And I want to say very clearly that This is not our church. We don't own this church. We are in charge of this church. As a matter of fact, that will get a lot of people in trouble. It is Christ's church. And Christ is the head of this church. And it is Christ that gives gifts. And it is Christ that forms us and grows us as He desires. Paul begins in verse 8 with a verse that may seem a little out of place. It's Psalm 68. And as I studied over the last couple of weeks about Psalm 68, as you go and read it, it's a psalm of a returning, conquering king who's literally marching back into the city with the captives behind him. That's how a conquering king would do. He would march into the city his captives would be behind him, and then the spoils of war would follow. In the train of the king would be the treasures of the conquest. Paul is intentionally drawing our attention here because he's going to be talking about the gifting of the church. He's intentionally drawing our attention to the conquering King Jesus. He's intentionally quoting Psalm 68 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that it is this victorious king. Let me tell you this morning I'm excited because we're worshiping and we're singing about a victorious king who has destroyed and conquered Satan, sin, self, and death. Isn't that good news? And just like in Psalm 68 that the Israel, the, country, the nation of Israel was not always obedient, they were sometimes rebellious, but the king would bring in the spoils and he would hand them out to the subjects of the kingdom and just like that is the picture of the church we're not always obedient we as a matter of fact I know in my own spirit that just I'm just like Israel I'm rebellious but these gifts these spoils of war have been given to the church by our gracious victorious king so Paul's connecting the dots And next week, we'll spend some more time, Lord willing, about gifts. But before we talk about gifts, I would like to consider why would Christ give gifts? Why would God, the Holy Spirit, impart to every believer and follower of Christ a gift? Now, that's next week, but let me give you a preview. If you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ this morning, if you're saved... If you've repented and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, if you're a new creation, let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit has given you a gift. Don't say I don't have any gifts because that's that's saying that God isn't true to what he's doing. Everyone in here who calls on the name of Christ has been given a gift and we're going to talk about that next week. So that brings me to the message this morning of the goal of the church. The doctrine of the church. The theological word is ecclesiology. It's the study of the church. And it's something we need to know. Because you see, I want to say some things that have kind of bubbled up to the surface in my studies over the last couple weeks. Do you realize the word of God spends most of the New Testament writing specifically to the church? Writing specifically to the body of Christ. This morning, we're going to look at the gospel of the church, growing the church, guarding the church, and the glory of the church. I'd like to begin with the gospel of the church, or the message of the church to the world. As I've mentioned a couple of times, I really struggled with this message for over two weeks, maybe a little longer, because I knew I would be preaching next, and so. I attempted, and and as I began to study, I I ran into something that one of the great preachers of a day gone by by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and if that's a name not familiar to you, Google him, get get familiar with him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great preacher in England uh, through the early 1900s until after World War II. And he was talking about the discussion of what is the church's role in the world. And I'm stealing, begging, borrowing, borrowing, plagiarizing here. But what Dr. Lloyd Jones said is this. And I I want to make sure that you're ready for this because there's a lot of talk about what we are to do as a church. What is our role as a church? As a church, we should do this in the community. Or as as our church, we should do this. But I, I just want you to just let this set in and, and try to listen to what I'm saying and I'm, pray for me that I communicate this clearly because this is a significant point. And I want to give you fair warning. It's going to maybe take your breath away or give you a tad bit of heartburn. But the church only has one role in the world. Only one. We only have one mission to the world outside. The church only has one message. To the world. And that message is very simply this repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. We have nothing else to say to the world this morning from any pulpit across any place other than repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. I'll just commend that to you to read it at some other time, but it, it talks about Christ dying for our sins according to the Scripture that He was buried and raised again. Our message, now listen, because somebody's going to misquote me here. Our message is not to create world peace. Our message and our mission is not to start homeless shelters. We are not challenged to erase illiteracy in our world or whatever cause that you may think of. And before you have a chance, let me clarify. Do Christians start homeless shelters? Yes. Do Christians participate? Does the church participate in pregnancy care centers? Yes. Are Christians involved? Is the church involved in after-school ministries? Yes. Have Christians started hospitals across the globe? yes do they create schools yes absolutely i would say that not only do we but we must but that's not the primary focus of the church that's not the world's greatest need the great and and i i feel i I try to struggle i think sometimes we get confused when we see someone hurting now felt needs are great we should give somebody hungry food i'm not saying we shouldn't we should clothe someone who doesn't have clothing we should bring them out of the cold and put them in our warmth home but we if we give people food and if we clothe them and if we bring them into a warm building and that's all we do we have failed do you understand We're here this morning because we have a message that no other place in our world has this message. And that is that our greatest need is to be restored and reconciled to God through the good news of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel message. So all those other things come out of the overflow. The message to the world today from the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the message. We don't need to speak in generalities, and I've been tempted to do that. I, I've attempted to say, well, if I went and gave someone a cup of cold water, there's a verse in the, in the, in the, in the Scriptures and the Gospels about that. That's good, and it's, it is good. But what really they need to hear is, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And so this morning... You're either a part of the body of Christ or you remain outside the body of Christ. There are only two types of people in the world, those a part of the body and those outside the body. And I thought about it as I was developing this message. I could not live with myself if I didn't attempt to clearly communicate what the Bible says. There is only one call, and that's to repent, to turn from the things that we're trusting in And to believe, to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And as we transition to speaking about the church, the body, this body that we're talking about, Paul's saying that's our message, but now he's transitioning and he's going to talk about this body, those who are in the faith, those who are in the faith, those who are following Jesus. Second point the growing of the church. In some cases, when we speak of church growth, it's almost like it's an immediate recoil. I've been around people who say, when we talk about church growth, they they kind of go, oh, don't talk about church growth. eh." Or some people talk too much about it, and they want to tell you uh, how big this and that is. But the Apostle Paul, I think, speaks directly to what growth means. Let me give you an example. It's like you walk up to a parent of a newborn baby, maybe Six, eight months old, and you say, Hey, how's little Johnny doing? I bet he or she's really growing. And the parent says, Oh, we're not focusing on growth right now. We just want Johnny or Jill to be a, a, a quality person. You may say, Is talking to the parent, I understand you don't, I understand, but don't you want Johnny or Jill to grow to maturity and be a strong, healthy young man or young woman? And the parent would say, Ah, that's just a little overrated. I mean, I'm trying to be funny here. Do you see? We don't say that. When we, when we see someone with a little kid, we say, hey, how are they doing? I hope they're growing. And, they, and we brag about it. Oh, yeah, they're getting big, and they're walking, and they're talking, and they can drink out of a sippy cup now. I mean, is, is I, uh, hello? is that right? Okay, so we're all here together. Well, if you start to think about the church growth that way, we see right here in our text in verse 12, I've got it from the King James, the NIV, and the ESV. So let me read it to you. Verse 12 says, The work of the church should look like this. The goal of the church should be like this. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body, King James. To equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up, NIV. New King James, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ in my text, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The word in King James is perfected. The word in other translations is building up. But let me try to help us understand what that means. The goal of the church seems to be that Paul's saying that where we're lacking, it suggests that if there's a deficiency or a weakness or something that's not right or maybe even something that's broken or out of a line or something that's not developed yet, that the goal of the church is to mature it, to bring it up, to align it, to put it in its proper place, to let the limbs grow as the limbs need to grow for the, for the muscles to develop as the muscles need to develop. It, it's speaking of that perfecting or maturing of the body. That's the goal of the church. If you're here as a believer of Christ this morning, the goal for you is to mature. We don't, we don't want someone 21 years old who's acting like they're six months old, right? We say that's, a, that, that's a not good, right? And so the same in our, in our faith. In other words, Paul's speaking of our sins, our flaws, our weaknesses. He's saying that Christ is working in his church and he's building it up, creating something glorious, In this body of his. And so, week after week, we use the word of God to reprioritize the parts of the church so they can be grown together and developed into his body. So, meeting is essential. So, people using their gifts are essential because what we should be doing here today is helping each other grow up into Christ. That's the goal of this church. To have spiritual maturity. What should we expect from the goal of the church? I'm going to use a really bad word. And some of you are going to gasp because I'm going to say it from the pulpit. But what we should expect as a goal of the church is change. We should change. In other words, we should be experiencing life-changing growth in Christ. We should be putting off old habits and putting on new habits with the help of each other and the power of the Holy Spirit. Things we once didn't, the things that we once did, we no longer do them because we're growing up in Christ. Where else is someone going to tell us, hey, you can't act that way if you're a Christian. If you're a follower of Christ, you just can't do that. You may not like it. You may have roasted preacher for Sunday dinner afterwards. But I can promise you that if we're here and if someone's preaching this word and when, when COVID is over and we get back into Sunday school, the goal of all that is to help us to grow. It's called sanctification. We're changed so we can serve, so we can serve in the ministry, so we can grow, so we can help each other reorder our lives, so we can prepare for eternity, so we can become a part of this body. Next few words is the unity of the faith. We're equipping people for the unity of the faith. What he's saying is, he's saying that we need to be united around this total theological content of this Christian faith. Faith is not what you believe. Here, faith is another word for for the Christian life, unity of the Christian life. He's saying we should all have the same faith. And I heard someone say that unity does not mean uniformity. And so there is difference, There's, that's the diversity. Let's go back to the parent illustration. We're to grow in the things of Christ. And I've got thinking about this a lot recently. If you've ever talked to a parent, particularly of a smart student, uh, my mom and dad never had this <laughs> honor, um, they will tell you that little Johnny and little Jill, they're, they're very fluent in biology, and they're making really good grades in chemistry, and they have a command of history, and they've not only taken algebra, but they're into calculus, and trig, and, and and, and they're, they're, maybe they're in college and they're understanding thermodynamics or physics. Or maybe they're at the great higher institution of learning, Purdue University, and they're studying botany. I mean, there's a Boilermaker plug, but uh, there's, maybe they're doing that. And we're all proud about little Johnny who can understand thermodynamics or botany. I think it's so sad. That we in the church want to dumb down our kids. And we think that if they can't, if they can understand thermodynamics, brothers and sisters, they can understand justification. If they can understand botany, they better know sanctification. If they can understand the concepts of physics, we as a church body need to have them understand what it means to be glorified and sanctified in the immutability of God. We don't need to dumb down our kids. We need to raise them up and build them in the unity of the faith. Amen? Isn't that good? I want my my grandkids to know more about Jesus than they do about physics. Now, I want them to know about physics. I don't know anything about physics. But I hope they understand the covenant of Noah or the covenant of Abraham or how Christ was our Atoning sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And so, brothers and sisters, it is the goal of the church to raise us up. To be a Christian is to believe and know things like Jesus was born of a virgin. That His incarnation leads to His sacrifice. And His sacrifice leads to salvation. And that's essential for faith. He also says the knowledge of the Son of God. What's he talking about here? He's talking about knowing him intimately. And I I, I thought about this, and, and let me give you the best example I can give you. And again, failure for me. Um, you can know a lot about a person, but not know them. You can know how tall they are, what they weigh, what their birth date is, what their favorite color is, all those kind of things. But but to know them means that you should spend time. You start to see how they're responding to you, and you to respond to them, right? And so what's the picture? Marriage. Marriage. Um, after three decades, I know Kim, and she knows me. I, I probably don't spend as much time, and I haven't worked as hard as I should, and I'm just a little bit of confession, but... But I know her. I know her better than anyone else, humanly speaking, I think. I think what Paul's pointing us to here is the goal of the church is to help all of us understand and know this Jesus. We sing that song, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. It's, it's, it's the body of Christ. It's each of us. It's, it's Jordan walking into my life and sharing with me how Jesus has moved in his life, and he tells me that, and, and I'm thinking, oh, that's what he was doing over here the other day with me. And it, it's, it's that kind of re- relationship of getting to know, and all of a sudden, uh, I, I, can now, I can now do things that I, I once couldn't do. Now I can not just only crawl, but I can walk. And now I can not only walk, I can run. And now I have muscles to stand under pressures that I couldn't stand under before because Chad's helped me or Brian's helped me. They've encouraged me to lift. I mean, have you ever been in a gym? And maybe you haven't, but but if you've ever worked out with someone in a gym, it's kind of a neat experience. And as you can tell, I don't do that a lot either. But I remember when I was in college, I went with a a roommate and and he took me to the gym. First time I really ever worked out. And you know, he's standing over me and I've got weight on me and I'm trying to, I'm trying to bench press and I'm a weakling and I'm struggling. And you know, he didn't, he didn't look at me and say, Oh, you stupid idiot. You, you wimp. You can't do this. No, no. His name was Joe. And Joe would look and he would say, come on, push, push, push through it. Come on. And I'd get up and come down and I want to quit. And he'd say, Oh no, no, no. Jake, he'd say, come on, do it one more time. One more time. Just push, push, push. And we would do that. And He started doing that, and and I remember mom and dad came and picked me up at Thanksgiving at Purdue, and I couldn't walk or move. They thought something was wrong with me. I'd been working out. I had all all these muscles I didn't know were here. I couldn't couldn't move. And I I say that to you because that's what the body of Christ is to do, right? It's it's what we're we're here to do. Let me me give you what maturity looks like. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians. brother. What time is it? Galatians chapter 5. Okay, 11.30, that's good. I didn't bring my watch up here, so I'm gonna get, get down with this quickly. But let me, let me tell you what maturity looks like. And I knew this would be a problem. Galatians chapter five, verse 22. I'm only sharing this with you because I'm trying to encourage you. I've been praying sort of the same prayer uh, for every day for, for, for several days now. And it comes with, uh, with a little bit of Ephesians 4 and Galatians 5. And So in essence, what, I, what I'm praying is, Lord, I want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel today. And I want it to be so, so, I, so through the power of the Holy Spirit, my life looks like this. Now, we're not going to talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit, but let me just give you one of the things. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural. It's one fruit. And I, I think there's a, there's a temptation for us to have it many fruits because we think, well, I've got the fruit of love, but I don't have the fruit of patience, and that's okay. I'll just go get some patience when I need it. What he's saying is, is, is this is a, a maturing of a person. In a, and, and this is convicting. The reason I'm praying this is because it's convicting to me. If we want to know what maturity looks like for a Christian, it's this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How you doing? I'm struggling. I'm struggling. But that's why you're in my life. That's why I tell you I need you. I need you to help me become this man. I want to make two more points, and I'm just going to, I'm going to go real quick. The third point of our message this morning is the guarding of the church. And I, there may be a message here later. But if you look at verse 14, it says, "...so we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves carried by every wind to doctrine." I just want to say this, you can talk to me about it offline, but brothers and sisters, the church is being crashed by the waves of society like never before in my lifetime. And the doctrines of the church are under attack. And we need to band together and encourage one another and guard one another. One of the things that we're living in is, and I won't spend a lot of time, but Just humanity is under attack. The very first two chapters of Genesis are under attack in our day and age. We don't need to be tossed to and fro. We don't need someone coming into our church telling us that God did not create us male and female in His image. The doctrine of marriage is one man, one woman That God ordained marriage. We didn't design that. We didn't design marriage. God designed marriage. So we need to make sure we're together to guard against those deceitful schemes. Because if you aren't connected to the church, and I want to tell you, this is my worry about COVID, and it was my worry several weeks ago, it's my worry now. That people somehow get removed, they kind of get out of the habit, they, they, they aren't doing Zoom, they're, 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 none of that's happening, and they're not getting that input of good doctrine, and I, it's not my doctrine, I'm, I'm reading the scripture, that's the doctrine, and all of a sudden they, they, they start compromising on, ah, you know, did, did God really create a male and female? Yes, yes, our goal is to guard each other from the wolves. And finally, I'll conclude, verse 15, the glory of the church. This church, any Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, is here not to entertain us, not to make us feel good or bad, not to meet our fancies. We're here this morning to glorify Jesus Christ. He's the head, verse 15. We meet because of Jesus. If you're here for any other reason, I'm glad you're here. I hope you hear something and the Holy Spirit will draw you. But I will tell you this morning, the only reason we meet is because of Jesus. In verse chapter five, what is he doing? He's making us a glorious church. He's perfecting us. Just look at verse five. He talks... We're going to come to marriage soon. But the example is how Jesus relates to the church. He's going to present us as a bride in splendor without spot or wrinkle or blemish for himself. He's preparing us for that great marriage feast that's going to take place into heaven. Aren't you excited? I'm excited about heaven. I'm excited when I get to see Jesus. I heard... The song, I can only imagine, the other day, I can only imagine when I meet the one who saved me. The goal of the church, the goal of the church is one message, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of the church is to grow. What does growing look like? It's unity of faith, knowledge of Jesus. It's, it's this maturing. The, goal, the guarding of the church is to protect us from all the craziness outside these walls. We're to help each other. In the glory of the church, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help the ears of the hearers take your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And and Lord, you would have your way with what happened. I I pray, Lord, that there's anyone, whether it's on Zoom or here at the church, that, that hasn't come to a place where they've repented and believe on you, that this would be the day of salvation. That this moment, right now, they would turn away from themselves and turn to you. I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would recommit and ask you to help us uh, to be a part of the body. And don't let us take that carelessly or casually. We're here for each other to serve and to grow because we want to be mature in the faith. And Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful there are men and women who have been in my life, older saints who've helped me mature. I'm grateful for younger saints who are still teaching me things. And Father, if we all could just have that, uh, that, that concept that this body of Christ helping each other one be knitted together uh, for your glory. Uh, what What a thing that would be to this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Timothy.